Welcome to the Quick Stop F1 podcast. My name is Nasha, and you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We appreciate that. Joining me today is a man that has done a lot, okay? Like, there's no doubt. This guy has done a lot. I mean, this guy has worked from working with McLaren uh, in Lewis's early days. He's also helped to shape Seb Vettel's activism over Aston Martin as well. He is a founding ambassador for Racing Pride, which I'm lovely. I'm really proud to be able to talk to you about that in... Oh my God, the bombs are going off too much. Uh, to talk to you about that uh, during Pride Month. And there's actually... I was reading up on, on this guy and there's actually so many cool and interesting little tidbits that I hope we get to talk about. But if you haven't guessed, it's Matt... Bishop, welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, what a welcome, what a welcome. I'm, <laughs> I'm overwhelmed already. Uh, no, don't be, don't be. That's all, it's all facts. I didn't even sugarcoat it. That was, that was literal facts and uh, accomplishments that you've done, which uh, honestly are, I'm really, really, really happy to have you on the show. I've followed you for quite some time now. Um and it's been really cool, kind of, yeah, even just from the time that I've been following you, following your career, and then finding about, about your past career, but also seeing what the future holds. I'm sure we'll talk about all of that. Um, but before I get into that, Matt, let me just tell the listeners at home, if you're watching this, make sure you're giving us a like and a subscribe on this video, and make sure if you're listening on Spotify, give us a five-star review. If you're listening on Apple, give us a review, and also the patrons there for an ad-free stream. Matt, where do I start? I think what I'd love to start with, with you, is um, you've got quite a storied, I would say, career within motorsport. And when I was reading up on you, I didn't want to say take this as fact, but it, is it true that you, I guess, your, your entry into the industry was is it with car magazine yeah i think it was yeah car magazine about just 30 something years ago um as a a, a sub editor um yeah. uh, and that was my first job uh, obviously car magazine it's about cars obviously. <laughs> it's not the most imaginative title for a magazine but it is very clear and uh, it Road cars, really, normally road cars. Yeah. So I was writing about road cars, road testing cars, um, but 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 production cars. But then my love, uh, look, I love cars. I'm a petrolhead. Mm. But my first love was always motor racing. So I, with, I managed to persuade, I say I managed to persuade, but he was easy to persuade, the editor, Gavin Green, to, um, to include a little bit more racing, motorsport coverage in car. Nice. And we started doing it. And I started either commissioning it or writing it or begging him that I could write it, etc. Yeah. Ah, oh, man, that's, and that's really cool in that it's one of those things where obviously I think now it's almost quite synonymous, cars, motorsport, and, you know, there is often some kind of overlap in, in, in publications and, in, you know, and about that. Was that not the case as much then, or was that just the car magazine policy at that at that point in time? I think there was some overlap, but not that much. 
Um, yeah. And so I was able to, with Gavin Green, able to slightly increase the motorsport content on car. And, and by the way, with Nigel Roback as well, who's also a yeah. great friend, and he, he wrote quite a lot for car about Formula One in those days. Nice. I mean, and I think it's one of those where I, um, you must have been there for a while. Um, and I, you know, obviously you've gone up, but you, you know, risen a little bit within there. So, uh, you know, you've got this job at Car Magazine, you know, it seems to be doing quite well. Um, so how did you kind of make the switch from uh, the magazine to what I think was next, which is McLaren, right? No. Next oh. was... Next was F1 Racing Magazine. So I was, okay. So I was at Car Magazine uh, only for about three, four years. Yeah. And then um, Haymarket, which published Auto Car, Watt Car, Classic and Sports Car, Autosport, Motoring News, as it was then called. It's now called Motorsport News. Motorsport, which I now mm. write a weekly column for. All these years yes, I've just seen you. Yeah. There you go. But Very anyway, full circle. Uh, they were... Um, they, decided to inaugurate a new monthly magazine called F1 Racing. And they they launched it with a little staff from of uh, ex-autosport guys. And then when they realized it was going to work, they hired me to be its mm. first kind of full-time editor. And I stayed there for 11 years. Wow. And I absolutely loved that time at... Uh, F1 Racing, again, Nigel Roebuck was uh, uh, writing from time to time, but also Peter Windsor, and then who, who yeah. is still a journalist uh, known now, and Tom Clarkson, who does his uh, well-received and well-known Formula One official blog. No, yeah. not blog, po podcast. Podcast, yeah, yeah. And various other people, too many to mention, but great people. Alan Henry now sadly passed away, and, and many others. And I had a great time there. And it was from there that right. I went to McLaren because I used to interview, obviously we all interviewed people, drivers, um, but I interviewed Ron Dennis a few times. And for some reason, I don't know why, we kind of hit it off. We're very different types, obviously. I mean, every, <laughs> everyone is a very different type from Ron, yes. I have to say that. Um, but, but he hired me and then I spent another 10 years at McLaren. So describe Ron for for those who don't know, and for me, Ron Dennis is one of those uh, absolutely uh, fundamental, foundational F one personalities for me. Growing up, you know, when I started watching F one, it was in '96. So very much Ron at McLaren with the silver arrows. That was like a big thing for me growing up, you know, in in the late nineties into the early two thousands, and obviously uh, with Lewis joining, kind of cementing that. And he seemed like a force of nature uh, with within the sport. Um, but I guess what was he? I guess what was he like? What was it about him that kind of? I guess you two seemed to get along well, and then I guess what was he like as a boss? Well, I, as I say, I got on well with him because I interviewed him and we sometimes hit it off. And, uh, 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 you know, he we used to have dinner, surprisingly. You know, nice. at, at races, he would sometimes say to me, do you want to go and have dinner? And I'd have dinner. And I thought sometimes there might be, you know, a number of journalists there. And I'd walk into the restaurant and it would just <laughs> be him. 
<laughs> so we had these dinners and they were always great fun. And, you know, Ron can be very formal and, yeah. and very austere. Uh, but he can also be very warm. You don't usually get to see that if you don't know him well, but he can yeah. be. And, and he's also, and these words appear to be contradictory, but they're not. He is a crazy genius. He is a genius. I mean, he, he sometimes thinks of things and does things. You just think, my goodness, no one else could have thought of that. And he, he really does. Yeah. And that's why he's, you know, the most successful team principal in the history of our sport still. I, I, I don't know how far away, maybe statisticians listening to this, uh, <laughs> maybe Toto Wolf and Christian Horner are creeping up on him now. But yeah. um, but at the moment, I still believe he is. And But he's, still, he's also crazy. He's uh, he, he is maddening, difficult, utterly exacting. You know, if you any if he ever sees a wire, if he sees a visible wire that anybody's installed anything in his yeah. house or in his factory, and there's a wire exposed, oh that's my it. goodness! Oh my goodness! Yeah. Wow! Yeah. But that's attention to detail, I guess, yes. right? Yeah. And that's that's what you need. And, and I guess even just that that sense of like uh, uniformality is one of the things where I guess as uh, and maybe I, you know this is just from listening to anecdotal stories. Ron wanted even like the drivers to be like a certain way. There was a, a profile of McLaren driver and how they were supposed to be, and that's kind of what. Lewis kind of came into within this within the sport and then within that team and I guess uh, how much of a part do you then play within that as like a communications person how much of a how much of a part do you do you play within I guess the the making and maintaining of the image of I guess the drivers and the team well uh, first of all let me talk about Ron's um obsession with presentational detail <laughs> in terms of the drivers since you mentioned Yeah sure. I mean that'd be awesome. I'll, I'll give you two little uh, anecdotes which which little just little illustrations rather than anecdotes. So yeah. when Alex Verts, Alex Verts is probably my best friend in the sport. Uh, Alex Verts yeah. had raced for 3 years um three and a half years for the Benetton team. Yeah. Uh, and um with Giancarlo Fisichella as his teammate. Uh, and then the first couple of years of that had gone well, and the, and the last year hadn't. And he was kind of looking at being out of Formula One. So he embarked on a time of being McLaren's test driver. Of course, in those days, yeah. you test every week. So it was yeah. a ton of mileage and a big job. Anyway, so he did a few years, quite a few years, as McLaren's test driver. Now, all through his career, before he got to McLaren, and it was a lucky kind of talisman and and uh, uh, a superstition of his. He always used to wear different coloured boots, one red and one blue. And when he got to uh, Benetton, that was absolutely fine. Nobody minded. Yeah. But when he got to McLaren, Ron was not having that. He must wear the same colour boots. So that's one thing. And then the next thing is Alex, bless him, has slightly, you know, kind of, if his hair isn't short, it gets a bit kind of bushy and curly. Yeah. Ron couldn't bear it. Ron couldn't bear it. Really? And then when we get to 2007, and he has these two young guns, 
Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso. Amazing that they're still, both of them, at the top of their form. Incredible, right? 16 years later. But anyway, they were two young guns in 2007, and we all know it didn't work out very well. But, But anyway, you look at anybody who's listening to that, Google McLaren launch Valencia 2007. And you will see these two boys. They look like GIs with Buzz their military hats. <laughs> yeah, military yeah, hats. yeah. And yeah. that was at Ron Dennis's insistence. Mm, I mean, I can. It's uh, it's it's so. Uh, but now, now I think about it, though. If I'm a team principal, respectfully to Alex, and you're like representing the team, if you've got different color boots. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't know if I would want that to be honest. Like, I can see, I can see the method to that madness. If I'm going to be honest, but uh, maybe we're in. I guess, like now, I guess then, to have that attention to detail probably wasn't as much as now, where everything's so micro focused. And if anything, that would get picked up now, put on social media. Look, he's got different color boots. Why has he got different color boots? What does it mean? Like ten different articles about it, and so quite right. It, it, it would be it would be all over uh, Instagram and Twitter, wouldn't it? If someone yeah. had different colour boots. I mean, I remember. Yeah. If you look, I've got a, a beard. I've got a little beard here. Yeah, of course. Uh, and I didn't used to, uh, but then at one point, I must have gone on holiday for a week or something, grown it, and come back to work. And everyone, when I got back to work at McLaren, everyone said, "Oh, Ron Dennis isn't going to like that." Ron's not going to like that. And I thought, I wonder what it was like. And it was at Spa. I, I didn't see him for the couple of days before the Belgian Grand Prix. And I went to Spa. And Ron is a funny, when he's talking to you, he kind of looks away a lot. He's looking away. So anyway, he yeah. called me over and I went over to him. And it was a good minute or two. He was talking to me, but looking up and looking this way and looking down. Yeah. And, looking, and then he went, <laughs> what are you got to do with? What's that beard? What's that beard? And I said, well, you know, it's a beard. He said, yeah. it's just not you. It's just <laughs> not you. I said, it's very neat. Look, look, Ron, very neat. <laughs> anyway, he was, he, he had to concede it was neat, but uh, he wasn't very happy. He wasn't happy, but, so. but look, that is, uh, <laughs> that is, uh, <laughs> thank you for the Ron Dennis stories. Like, the, the kid in me is actually like very, very, very uh, happy to hear all those stories. And I guess another person, if we're going to just stick on McLaren, did you see in Lewis, I guess, the, oh, I mean, I'm sure the talent was there for everyone to see, right? You know, you know, I think there were the tests before he was given the drive, um, I think him against Pedro de la Rosa potentially. Um uh, and you know, and obviously his performances in, in F two, the equivalent of F two at the time. Um but I guess from working, you know, working with him as a personality and kind of, you know, a, a, with him as a rookie driver coming in and then into like, you know, the latter years of his time at McLaren. Um, what were your impressions of Lewis, I guess, when he first came in and, and I guess watching him grow into into an established driver? Well, I knew he was going to be brilliant before he ever got to Formula 1. I mean, in GP2, as you say, the forerunner, yeah. forerunner of Formula 2, he was absolutely brilliant. He was stunning. And, uh, you know, Silverstone, uh, Istanbul, those two Istanbul, races I remember yeah. incredibly well. And I remember <laughs> one point being in the Formula 1 paddock 
and generally some people watch the GP2 or Formula 2 um, and other people are busy doing their Formula 1 stuff and they're in the Formula 1 bubble and they don't they don't um, watch it. And I suddenly, I was one of those people at that time, I was busy doing something and I suddenly realised the paddock was empty. The paddock was empty and everyone had just run into the motorhomes to see the magic wow. that Lewis Hamilton was doing on track uh, in, in this Istanbul, that was, and quite extraordinary. Yeah. But then, and, and I was um, journalist then, because I only started in uh, McLaren in 2008. Uh, so I was a journalist for his first year, which was 2007. And I remember putting him on the cover, the front cover of um, F1 Racing magazine. I was the editor, so I could describe oh. what was on the cover. And I put Lewis on, on the cover. And um, I think he'd won, I mean, if you remember, he, at the beginning of 2009, he got nine podiums in a row. Completely yeah. unheard of. Completely unheard of. First nine races, nine podiums. And I remember saying, you know, is he already one of the greatest? Is he al Are we already seeing that he is already one of the greatest? And I got, it was before social media. Yeah, of there course. Were, there were bulletin boards and forums. And I yeah. got absolutely slammed, slammed ah. for suggesting that this boy, Lewis Hamilton, this young man, was already showing signs of being one of the all-time greats. Well, I was right, wasn't I? I was right. You were right. And you know what? On this show, when someone makes a good point, we have to give them a bomb. So I'm going to give you a bomb for that. Because you were, you were not wrong. <laughs> you were not wrong at all. And it's... um. It's crazy. I think as someone who works, who, you know, who has worked within the sport and obviously you're just, and look, you, I know that you're very familiar with social media. Does it, does it surprise you to see that there's still a level of doubt or chastism or like, I guess overall kind of like negativity towards towards Lewis and or like a, a downplaying of of his talent and achievement because you know some people equate it to being just now because you know he's won all the tires on Mercedes and people say it's only the car and this and the other but I you know someone who's followed his career from the start it, it has been the whole time let, right let me say I look I worked with him for five years at McLaren I worked with him very closely. Uh, mm. I, I was there in the garage uh, in Tulagos when he won the world championship in 2008 on the last corner wow. of the last lap of the last race. And look, I rate him as high as you possibly can be. I think he's a great driver on track. He's a great man off track. I think he's a, mm. a, a wonderful person. And um, why do people uh, diss him? Why do people give him... Uh, criticism, uh, most of it unjustified. Uh, well, first of all, I'm afraid that's the nature of social media, particularly Twitter, because yeah. let's be honest, people, um, you know, there's a lot of Max Verstappen haters out there as well, completely unjustified. He's a, you know, he's a brilliant driver. Not everything he does is perfect. Not everything anyone does is perfect. But he's an yeah. absolutely brilliant racing driver, as we're seeing every week or every fortnight. <clears throat> and we will probably see this coming weekend in Austria. Who knows? Um, some people don't like Fernando Alonso. I worked with him for um, three years. 
I found him very, very good to work with, but some people don't like him. There's anyone who's successful in any sport, but particularly I'm afraid Formula One is a bad case of it, gets criticism. And therefore, of course, Lewis Hamilton gets criticism. Now, let me take it a little bit further. Is some of the criticism that Lewis gets, some, some, is some of it um, owing to the colour of his skin? Is it? I'm going to say yes. I think some of it is. I'm not going to say, try and guess what percentage. By the way, I get a lot of nonsense on Twitter. Why? Because I'm a gay man. So, you know, whenever you are anything other than, in Formula One terms, the norm, which is a white, male, heterosexual, and preferably wealthy, if you're anything other than that, you stand out from the crowd and you're more likely to get a slagging. I'm not saying that everyone who criticizes Lewis is racist. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that he deserves no criticism at all ever. I'm not Mm. saying that. But I am saying, yes, that over the long period that I have worked with him and over the long period that I've, you know, been closely observing social media around Formula One, there is a small, very sad and unfortunate group of people who probably are motivated by those very, very regrettable uh, thoughts and deeds. And, and, but and, do you disagree look, or do you agree with me? Look, I was about to give you a gunshot for that. Look, I can't. <laughs> there's so much. There's so much I can add to that, Matt. No, to be honest, I think. I think I always say that. Obviously, you know, it's, we actually just had a conversation yesterday with someone about some abuse that I got after going on his show, and you know, some of the abuse that my co-host and co-founder has got Tandy and that how it's even more magnified because she's a black woman and how the abuse that she gets is worse than what I get and it's it's really sad to kind of see that kind of play how society kind of plays out in terms of who gets the brunt of abuse kind of play out within the sport but sport is I guess just a a kind of microcosm of society as a whole but I think yeah I think I think there's I think what people don't maybe realise, Matt, is that I think there are some unconscious biases in there. And I think when people... What gets people's backs up is that they might say, I'm not racist, I have black friends, I you know whatever, I, this, that and the other. I don't... I've never said racist things. But I do think that there are inherent biases that make people... You hear the phrase often, I don't know what it is about Lewis, but I just don't like him. Or I find him arrogant. Or I find him this and that. And some of, you know, I find him too flash or whatever, which is fine. But I think sometimes people don't realize that some of those things are playing into like stereotypes of black people and how they view black people, maybe in a negative light. And I think that's sometimes what's missing from. I think the evaluation of it is that, yes, of course, there are some people who are just don't really like he's black, don't like him, whatever. But I think the whole sport is so white, heterosexual, cis male that anything outside of that automatically, I think, gets looked at with suspicion at first. And you almost have to prove 
that you deserve to belong. And even then, you'll you get. I, I mean, is that something that you you kind of? Well, I, I was going to say I, I agree with you, uh, and I think we are agreeing with each other here. Yes, hundred percent. Sorry, there's a lot of waffle for me to say no, yes. I agree okay. with you. That I think we are agreeing with each other. But I just want to say as well, you know, I've been in this sport for thirty something years, and you know, as I say, I started at Car Magazine in I think thirty two years ago, and um, uh, look. I love this sport. I love Formula One. It's been very good to me. Yeah. Uh, I've worked incredibly hard in it. And, you know, um, I am what I call an F1 lifer, a Formula One lifer. And also, not all, but many, many of my best friends are Formula One people. And, you know, the vast majority of those, of course, are white, heterosexual males preferably wealthy like i say <laughs> and uh, and and they are and but many of those people are my friends and they know very well that um i'm a gay man they know very well i'm married to another gay man and uh, you know I, I i i count them among my closest friends so i think just one thing i'd say there therefore is because <laughs> this will probably be put on social media and people will tweet about it and therefore people will you know grab the, the the worst possible element of it to, yeah. you know, to criticize you or criticize me and so i am saying now and i think it's important and it's true yeah yes there are these negative elements and we see them on social media um but in formula one in general i found almost everyone to be actually very tolerant progressive and chummy and friendly and nice that's ah, you know what? We'll give a little cheering for that as well, because that is good to hear. That is good to hear. Um, and I guess that brings us on quite nicely to uh, racing pride. I think, which would be a good place to talk about that, because obviously yeah. you're using. Um, <clears throat> actually, you know what? For those who don't know, actually, and we'll put some information below. Um, I believe that you're a uh, founding ambassador of Racing Pride. So. Um, what is Racing Pride? And I guess, what is the aim of Racing Pride? Um, and I, it's really cool to be able to talk to you about Racing Pride during Pride Month. Well, good. Um, look, uh, Racing Pride was founded, inaugurated in 2019 in association with Stonewall, the LGBTQ yeah. charity. And it was the, the founder, um, who's still uh, uh, the... Um, we don't really have a chief executive or anything like that, but uh, Richard Morris, who's a young racing driver, very clever guy, Dr. Richard Morris. Oh, wow. And, and he's called doctor, not because he's a medical doctor, but because he got a PhD at Cambridge University, and he's a young man who races cars. So that's a multi-talented young man. And he's a gay man. By the way, his partner um, is uh, aerodynamicist who works for one of the Formula One teams. Awesome. Uh, 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 um, great guy as well. Anyway, so we we started it uh, and with a few others as well because we thought there was a need. Now, some people sometimes say to me, "Why is there a need? You know, you you should have started it in 1989, not 2019. There was a need then. There's not a need now." And they say that because they see that, you know, I can be married to my same-sex husband, and uh, you can have rainbow zebra crossings 
put in town centres and all the rest. Yeah. And indeed, we're, there's such a thing as Pride Month and, you know, mainstream company. You walk down the high street and you see banks and uh, mainstream yeah. department stores <laughs> with, with, with rainbow motifs in the window and so on. So uh, they say, why, why would you do it now? Well, we do it now for, because there is a need. There is a need. You know, Formula One races in a number of countries where um, sex between men, I'll just stick to men at the moment because the laws around uh, sex between women are so complicated because, believe it or not, there are some countries that don't even regard sex between women as sex because they're so misogynistic that they say that there must be a man involved for it even to qualify sex. Can you believe that? But anyway, so there are laws in some of the countries in which Formula One races where if two men or any more than two men have sex together, then the punishment can be prison or death. Or death. Yeah. Um, I mean, if I went with my husband uh, to Saudi Arabia, where we do race, and we made love to each other uh, as husband and husband in the hotel room, they probably would let us off because we're because I'm a former one person <laughs> because of the way of the hypocrisy of everything. But the rule would say that public beheading is the punishment. So um, why do we go? Uh, well, I think that's kind of where racing um, pride comes in. Uh, we do go. Formula One does go to these countries. And I'm not saying it shouldn't, because, by the way, I think personally, you may disagree. And if anybody's hearing this disagrees, I completely defend your right to disagree. And I respect your view, even if it differs from mine. But mine is that boycotting such countries completely will make sure that you cannot make a positive difference. <clears throat> Whereas if you go and you don't check in your values and principles at the airport when you arrive in Jeddah, for instance, yeah. uh, but you say, no, we are people from liberal societies and we believe in human rights and we're going to you knew who we were when we invite you invited us and we're going to go mm. into your country we're going to put on a great race we want yeah. you to have a great race we want your population to love it we want people to enjoy watching it all over the ro- world but we do think there are some aspects of your human rights which are suboptimal and we're prepared to say so and there is a thing called we race as one which is a formula one initiative and there's a thing called Purpose Driven, which is an FIA initiative, and there is Racing Pride, which now three Formula One teams are formally signed up to, which is yes. Aston Martin, uh, Alpine, and Red Bull. Aston Martin, Bull, Alpine, and Red Bull. And we have also done work with Williams and Mercedes as well. So that's five teams out of ten. That's half the grid yeah. has had some kind of um, positive uh, collaboration and partnership with Racing Pride. And I think that for all the things that I've said with that and We Race As One and Purpose Driven, we can go into those countries and realise that we do have not only an opportunity but also a duty to say things, not to slag anything off, no, because yeah. no, no, there's no benefit there. There's no benefit. It won't win an argument. But just to say, we are who we are. We think there are things that uh, could improve, and we're here to say that. And just, I know I've 
spoken too long. No, 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 please. One other Carry thing. on. If you are a fearful, closeted LGBTQ plus person in, let's say, Saudi Arabia or Qatar, and you will be fearful and closeted if that's where you live and you're LGBTQ plus, then it actually means, and I know this because I've had this told to me, it actually means an enormous amount, not only for people like me, LGBTQ plus people, to say that we think everyone should be allowed to be who they want to be and love whom they want to love, but it's almost more powerful when you find heterosexual allies, people who practice allyship. And the two that spring to mind, of course, are Sebastian, Sebastian Vettel yeah. and Lewis Hamilton, both of whom are very, very straightforward and courageous in not only what they wear, their rainbow-themed T-shirts and helmets, but also what they say when they're questioned about what they wear. And I think they were two, well, Lewis still is, but they are two brilliant multiple world champions and they're two guys, yeah. great guys off track too. Do you, th I mean, thank you for that. And it's been, it's quite interesting to hear. I think I, obviously I knew about the, the work that you guys are doing on the ground here with the teams and stuff. And I've seen, I've seen some things, but I guess that international aspect of it is not something that I'd considered. And, and when you think about it, yeah, that I think having that visible partner of F1 looking to engage with social activism in that way is, 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 is really important, you know, um, like say, probably f for the most, for the people on the ground who have to be closeted or, you know, maybe can't live as, as freely as they like, you know, for them to kind of see that, see that support, you know, they call F1 the largest traveling circus in the world. And if that circus is passing through your town, and a big deal is being made out of it. And, you know, two of the biggest stars within that are, you know, supporting, you know, you. And, you know, if if you've got organisations working with that as well, I think that's, you know, it's an incredible thing. So, uh, um, Well, thank you. I think it is important. And, by the way, the work that we do on the ground, as you put it, with the teams, also very, very important. I mean, I haven't got time to go into it all because I know we're, we've got other things to talk about. But certainly, you know, just today, for instance, uh, yeah. Racing Pride, we did an activation with Red Bull. And, uh, you know, it was an honour to be able to do it. And they were very kind about, uh, uh, you know, saying how, how well it had gone down and how um, important it is. And, you know, when I was a lad, falling in love with the sport when I was 10, and then realising I was gay, you know, a few years later, uh, but still mad keen on the sport of Formula One. If I'd known, well, if I'd known I'd work in it, it would have been a dream enough. But if I'd known that I'd work in it and do all the jobs I'd done and also be able to be, you know, a founder ambassador of a thing called Racing Pride, where five of the teams have actually engaged with us, half the teams, uh, and the way they've engaged with us has said we celebrate the right of anyone to be who they want to be and love whom they want to love. I wouldn't have believed it, but it's the case. And I'm very proud of everyone, particularly the heterosexual allies who have got involved. Here, here, you can get a bomb for that. No doubt. Um, what I did want to ask, actually, is 
maybe this is slightly off piece, but I guess it kind of feels quite pertinent now. There's like, at the moment, there seems, from what I can feel, there seems to be like a lot of pushback on Pride this month and the language around Pride seems to have got a lot more combative i would say that but this is obviously as someone from the outside looking in on social media and obviously with the heightened debate around pride and and the you know exposure of i guess children to education around that uh, and then obviously what seems to be an increasing debate I hate to use that word, but an increasing conversation, let's say, not a debate on trans lives and 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 so forth. Uh, how, I guess, with within the work that you do, is that something that you've kind of noticed? Does that kind of impact on your work? Does that impact on the way that you have to maybe present to these teams? given where we are like in this current pride or or is that is that just something that i guess kind of comes with with what you what you guys do as a, as a well, charity your observations are correct um i think there is uh, and has been uh, an increase in um anti lgbtq plus um activation or activity um why is that look i'm 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 not a expert in sexual politics i'm not a sociologist I, I would say that there is i mean i touched on it a little bit before some people would be perfectly some people i'm talking about would be yeah. perfectly tolerant of the existence of lgbtq plus people um and the phrase you often hear is as long as you don't ram it down my throat yeah so what does that really mean you know, people say putting a rainbow on the window of Selfridges, is that ramming down your throat? Well, for some people it is. For others it isn't. Um, you know, um, it used to be the case when I came out in the late 70s, when I was a teenager, well, you didn't... Um, obviously, you were very discreet because yeah. the world was um, not ready and not accepting, or at least... You know, England wasn't, the UK wasn't, yeah. uh, and some European places were. You know, you'd go to Paris and it was a little bit more accepting. But anyway, that's all changed now, and London is quite a vibrantly accepting. Yeah. Place. But, but, uh, I think because of the embracing of um, difference and diversity, which has been, and still is, I believe, um, a majority embracing, it means that those who aren't so comfortable about it see it. They see yeah. rainbows. They see people of the same sex walking down the street holding hands or giving each other a peck on the cheek. And they regard that as ramming it down their throat. The same as some people criticise the existence of, you know, Black Lives Matter. Or they say yeah. all lives matter. Well, we know all lives matter. But actually, it's not all lives that have been subject to um, unfair treatment over many years. And that's why 
I mean, it's so obvious, but but people yeah, uh, people no. find it. Some people argue about it. So I think there's that, and the fact that um, that things are now more visible, and and the acceptance of diversity and difference is more visible, has upset some people and does upset some people. And then the other thing you rightly say is the trans issue. Now, I go back to the statement I've said two or three times here, which is that everyone in this world has an inalienable right to be who they want to be and love whom they want to love. But the first bit is be who they want to be. So, yes, I completely defend the and, and celebrate and cherish the, the existence of T in LGBTQ+. Plus. And uh, those who would like to subtract T from that, and there is a thing called the LGB Alliance, for instance. Yeah, I've seen that. I, I <laughs> castigate that. I think it's um, a cruel thing to do. And I think that, um, you, you know, we're all, by the way, uh, much more similar than we are different. And we're all yeah. trying to struggle our way through this crazy world together. And I utterly support um, LGBTQ plus uh, uh, um, equality and solidarity. And I utterly support and welcome and I'm grateful for straight, pet, cishet, whatever you want to call it, um, support and allyship. So that's what I think. But I think there are some people who obviously do, do, do get upset about that. And that's why we see some of the very unwelcome problems we now see that you, you, you described and asked me about. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And I think just to kind of echo that, I think as a platform, we're just obviously so supportive of anyone going through any kind of journey in, in that sense. And you know, we wouldn't want to exclude absolutely anyone. It's really cool to be able to talk about this with you on this podcast, you know, in such in such an open way, and I think you know, even for me, I'm learning something as an ally, just trying to just trying to you know uh, do my best in that sense, but kind of put people from the community, you know, front and center during during this month, which is really important. Um, I guess I guess for you, finally on this, if if in an ideal world, right, in an ideal world, you know, we've got great, I guess, spearheads. So we've got the top of the iceberg, right? With Lewis and Seb. Unfortunately, Seb's not around as much anymore. So that visible kind of double-pronged attack isn't there. But we've got Lewis and we've had Seb. I guess that's the tip of the iceberg. If you, if, if you, in an ideal world, what would, I guess if, you know, if you could wave a magic wand and an F1 or motorsport in general what would you like to see or what are kind of like end goals that you'd like to see in regards well, to stuff like that? I'll say three things. So first of all, you know, I just want to say again, credit where it's due, you know, the three teams that are formally aligned and partnered with Racing yeah. Pride and also the two others. So the three that are, are, Aston Martin, Alpine, and Red Bull. And then the two that have done work with us but are not yet uh, partnered with us are, are Williams and uh, and Mercedes-Benz. So, look, yeah. I, I, I do think there are, you know, seriously positive moves being made in that way. And, and, and when we go into these teams and talk to them, uh, the, the reception is always very positive, welcoming, yeah. interested. They always say you get much bigger 
you know, crowds of uh, audience size than okay, other vis- visiting people who come and, and speak. So that's all. That's all good. So that, that is that is one good thing. Uh, I would, however, say, you know, Sebastian Vettel has retired. He was a wonderful ally, not just for LGBTQ plus stuff, by the way, but also for you know human rights in general, yeah. women's rights, um, environmentalism. Uh, anti litter picking, all the t- yeah. sorry, anti littering, anti littering, um, yeah, <laughs> all that kind of thing, and 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 uh, bee conservation, all those things. And he was a special person. He is a special person, but he's not in the sport anymore. Lewis, equally, you know, absolutely um, staunch uh, heterosexual ally, and also obviously a, a um, you know a big voice in favour of end racism and, and, and Black Lives Matter and those things. But he's 38. So one of them's yeah. retired and the other's 38. Now, perhaps Lewis will go on for a little while longer. Perhaps he will. I hope he does. But he's yeah. obviously closer to the end of his career than the beginning. And when he does retire, whenever that is, will we have nobody? Will we have nobody in the paddock as a driver who will take up those cudgels, uh, who, who will take you know, that mantle. Uh, you know, I'd like to see some of the others. I would like to see some of the other drivers uh, t- um, uh, 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 joining in, if you like. And funny enough, one of the ones who did, to some extent, was Mick Schumacher, who was oh. obviously not in the sport anymore. But yeah. he, he he was also um, someone who, who, I mean, influenced, I think, in a positive way by Sebastian, because yeah. they're, they're, they're close. But But obviously, he's not in the sport anymore. Uh, as a driver or as a race driver. So I would like to see some more. But the third thing I'm going to say, and the last thing I'm going to say, is, on this subject, is, you know, there may well be a driver, I don't know, by the way, there may well be a driver who's in Formula 2 or Formula 3 or Formula 4 or karting, and he might be 15 or 16 or 18, I don't know. And I, I really don't know if there is one. But there might be one, who is LGBTQ plus. And if he, and let's just talk about men at the moment, because there might be women in Formula One in the future, but we know there hasn't been for 47 years. So um, that's a separate conversation. But if he got to Formula One and turned out to be good and got a good car, and let's say, let's say that we were sitting at home I don't mean you and me are sitting at home. Food. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Welcome round anytime. <laughs> you were sitting in your home watching the telly. Yeah. I was sitting in my home watching the telly on a Sunday night. And we turned on the news and it said, today, I'm going to invent this person's name. Today, in Monte Carlo, Johnny Jenkins won the Monaco Grand Prix. Second was Max Verstappen. Third was Charles Leclerc. And... Johnny Jenkins sprayed the champagne on the podium, walked down into the paddock and kissed his boyfriend on the lips and said, this one's for you. Now, if that happened, and that's more or less what Tom Daly did when he won the um, Olympic gold medal, not kissing his boyfriend on the lips. That's my artistic license. But um, he, when he won the the, uh, Olympic gold medal for diving a couple of years ago, he made a speech which I thought was very moving. He said, I am an Olympic gold medalist champion 
and a gay man. And I never thought I'd ever be able to say those words. And when I started out in this sport, I loved it. I knew I was talented, but I always knew there was something different about me that meant that I probably wasn't going to be able to succeed at the highest level. And yet, here I am. And if any young person is watching me now that is LGBTQ+, and thinks perhaps they can't do it because there's something about them that prevents it, well, you can. You can, and I've proved it. Now, if Johnny Jenkins won the Monaco Grand Prix and said that, yeah, then I could die happy, mate. I could die happy. Yeah, that's, that is a lovely, a lovely dream to dream. And you know what? Probably a lovely place to end the podcast. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it there. But I just want to give you a massive round of applause. That was one of the best conversations i've ever had oh my god double applause they just can't stop matt uh that was one of the best conversations i've had on on this podcast so honestly thank you thank you so much um well thank you Nessa. I've, I've really enjoyed it i've really enjoyed it oh, I'm, I'm glad you did honestly the the feeling is mutual and you're welcome back absolutely anytime um where can people find you online so you can find me i mean i'm a Prolific tweeter. So, at, <laughs> guilty. <laughs> yeah. So it's at the Bishop One. At the Bishop One is where you will find me. And look, Matt does incredible on this day posts, which give incredible insight into F1 history. He's obviously got the motorsport uh, column as well. Uh, and it was a really, really lovely column. So, we'll stick all of that in the description. Make sure you check it out. Give him a follow. And of course, Make sure to follow Racing Pride uh, to keep up with everything that those guys are getting up to. Such a wonderful organisation. Thank you again, Matt. Really appreciate it. I'll give you some more round of applause. Uh, and to you guys at home, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. What did you think? Let us know in the comments below. Uh, give us a like and a subscribe on the video. Five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcast View. And remember, for the price of a cup of coffee, you can listen to this on Patreon ad-free. We'll be back for the uh, Austrian Grand Prix qualifying review. Wow, the week is going so quickly. So we'll see you then. And until then, keep it on the black stuff. Take care.